We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius. Just going to be the two of us today as the Trudell clan is hopefully out there winning championships today. Again, more positive LFR pod mojo for Mike and the family. Um, And in the last pod, we talked about the final series between Phoenix and Milwaukee and how it's become this battle of size and strength versus skill. And how as the series is going on, Milwaukee's power and and strength is winning the day. And I want to talk about that in the context of the Lakers, right? Darius, the Lakers are at their very core a power team, right? It's LeBron James, Anthony Davis. They're not the best shooters in the NBA. They are not the best ball handlers in the NBA. But relative to their size and how strong they are and how athletic they are, and LeBron obviously has the – the mental and the experience component. LeBron is a, a whole nother beast. But in terms of their attributes, that is who they are, right? They're two of the more powerful athletes in the NBA. And so the question becomes around that. Do you emphasize skill, right? Guys who can hit shots and that can capitalize on the way that those two players really break a defense down. Or do you double down on the concept and surround them with other guys who are athletically superior, strong, great athletes. And so there's a certain dial and a certain alchemy to this where you add a little bit here, but you might be taking away elsewhere. And this last year's team, we had that in some aspects, like in the front court with the Drummond signing, very much aligned with this idea of just big, strong athletes. But in the back court, we also trade Danny Green for Dennis Schroeder. Dennis is obviously a much better athlete in terms of speed and and just kind of quickness and things like that. But Danny is more of the is the stronger player, the bigger player. So where do you stand on kind of this fundamental difference in terms of constructing teams and how it applies to the Lakers? It's an interesting discussion. And I think that there's really no one way to look at it across the board for me. Right. Um, personally, I like my players skilled. I like I want them to be able to shoot and pass. Right. Um, dribbling is I like them to be able to dribble too but if you've got enough guys who can sort of do that for you like if i was creating 
if if there were three pillars that I wanted as the foundation for players, it 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 would be sort of like shooting, um, defense, right, and passing, right. Like I want every player on the team to be able to do those three things at a baseline level, right? And then within the context of that, make those players as big and as athletic as possible, right? And so, like, I think Dennis Schroeder's a great place to start for me within this this idea because Schroeder, as you mentioned, is, a, I think Schroeder's a, a really good athlete. Right. Like he's mm-hmm. got a, a bunch of good physical tools to him. Um, he's got good length. He is both fast and quick. Mm-hmm. Right. And so some players are one or the other. And a lot of those guys are both, but but not all the time. Right. There are guys who are straight line fast. Dennis is certainly that. But he is also quick. He, the way he navigates screens, for example, defensively and the way that he can dig in his stance and drop his hips and really turn you when you're the ball handler and he is defending you like he's very good at that. What he's not is very big or very strong. And to me, maybe this is my old sort of being a Phil Jackson disciple of sorts, or maybe it's like growing up watching Magic Johnson play, right? You're talking about 16 championships between those two people, by the way. Right. Right. And so, but I like size in my guards. Like I want them to be big. I want them to be physical. I want, because that is a position that typically you do not find that in a lot, although that's changing. I think- why does that matter, though? What is it about having size at the guard spot that that impacts the game? I just think that it makes it easier to do a lot of things that you want to be able to do as a guard, right? And so one of the things, so I'm going to bring it back to Dennis really quickly for this. One of the things that you want to do in the modern NBA, but this has been true for a very long, long time, is you want to be able to move the ball from one side of the court to the other, And you want to be able to do it proficiently, right? Because you want to get the defense to move when they've committed resources to one side of the court and you want them to not be able to cover the other side of the court. The more times you do that, the more likely they are to make a mistake. Yeah. And early in the 80s, you did that through a post entry, right? Because there weren't good ways to double team the post. And so if you actually did commit a second defender to the post, you were often caught in a position where the help was almost all tilted towards that strong side and your ability then to get the ball to the other side of, of the court quickly was almost always going to generate an open look in today's NBA. That happens a lot more via the pick and roll and the ability to throw the skip pass. And one of the reasons why I like big guards is because they can make that pass And they can play above the defense in a way that is not typical of most guards. It's why, as Mike has talked about a lot, and you have too, Pete, the the big wing who can handle the ball, that's why he's so valuable in the NBA because it makes it so that your guards, who are typically smaller guys, do not always have to do that because they get taxed more. And this phenomenon has implications in that 
those guys that can do that have access to a different plane, the one that's over the top than smaller players do, than guards do, right? This was Magic Johnson, right? We see Magic in highlights now on fast breaks and dishing and all of the wonderful things that Magic did. But what he did more often was turn his back on the guy uh, that was guarding him and just see over the top. And it was like a quarterback without a pass rush, right? Because he had access to those passes over the top where a smaller player, they might know that that guy's open, but they can't get it there. They got to put a little extra arc underneath the pass. They can't zip it to the guy. This is one of the reasons why LeBron's one of the great skip passers of all time is because he's got access to that plane over the top. We're even seeing this in the finals where Phoenix is double teaming Chris Middleton and Middleton just going over the top of them. And now you've got a four on three well also too, think of some of the best playmakers in the league right now right at the guard position it's Luka Doncic it's James Harden it's right like even in the 2019-20 season LeBron basically essentially started at point guard Mm -hmm. and led the league in assists and players who are of that size who can be your lead ball handler are super valuable offensively but Having size at the guard position is also important defensively. I would argue even more so. Yeah, because think of all the times you have to switch or or think of all the advantages that you have as just being a bigger player. Mm-hmm. You you may not be as quick, Pete, but you can lay off a little bit more because you're bigger. You can get up to, to contest. And it's going to be very rare that – a big guard is going to rank in the bottom of the league, for example, in like defensive real plus minus, right? Like that, that's reserved for guys like Trey Young or like old school, like not old school, but like Isaiah Thomas, the Celtics version. And when you're a smaller guard, you can just be exploited more and picked on more defensively. And so I want size at the guard position defensively as well. And it happens in all sorts of different basketball scenarios. I think of DeAndre Ayton in the first round and how much difficulty that KCP and Dennis Schroeder had with boxing him out, with getting defensive rebounds. Ayton kicked our butts on the offensive boards in part because he may win a one-on-one battle with, say, AD is at the five, I think, of game one uh, or or with somebody else, but the tracking down of long rebounds, the ability to sandwich rebound and kind of win those battles up in the air as rebounders, those aren't things that Dennis can do. Those aren't things that KCP can do, right? And so this Lakers team has been built so much around that idea of bigger, faster, stronger over multiple seasons, including the title one. But I would argue that in going from Danny Green to Dennis Schroeder, for example, which again, this isn't an indictment on Schroeder. It's more about the collective. If KCP is next to you and you go to Dennis Schroeder, all of a sudden you're very small in the back yeah. in the backcourt, right? KCP's got good height, but he doesn't hold his own around the basket. And Dennis Schroeder doesn't have the physical capability to do it. So collectively, you're actually quite small in an important part of the game where at least one big guard would be important. And I'll rephrase that too, because KCP by himself, he will battle. KCP will battle. He will will stand in there and go toe-to-toe with like Jokic at the elbow, the same way that Alex will. But, Eh. but, but, but he's not going to hold up in the same way as as Alex will I don't want to make it seem like like he's going to be as effective but if he's the only one who's small who has to do that you can live with that but if there's a second guy if there's a second guy that's what makes it problematic and it's why it's why KCP having him be your de facto 
point guard defensively, that's way different than having him be your shooting guard defensively because you no longer have, because now your de facto point guard actually is a point guard. He has to defend that, that position. And you lose some of that defensive versatility. Again, I don't want to make this an indictment on Dennis, who I think is a very good player, right? And a good defensive player. Yeah. It's, it's, it's just that if, if bringing it back to the start of our conversation about building out a roster and what I like and, and where you have sort of argued where the league is trending potentially, or where you could, where you could maybe even buck trends, right. That are currently embedded across the league in order to gain advantage some on the margins, right size in the backcourt to me is an interesting place to try to leverage that where you can maybe pick up a few points on the margins in order to build out a stronger team overall. And I I go back to the defensive end of why that's important. I love the scenario you put forth of like Alex versus Jokic versus KCP versus Jokic. You don't expect either guy to be able to defend them, but it's the difference between getting beat in one, one and a half seconds or one and a half to two seconds, right? Caruso is going to be able to hold up just long enough for the help to come over, right? And But you have to have a certain amount of sturdiness and size to be able to operate that way. And this to me becomes especially important in AD at the five lineups. I do think that if AD's at the five, is if that's something that we'll do more and we'll see, we don't know if that's the case, but in those AD at the five lineups, having size and physicality elsewhere is important because AD at the five against Jokic, he's not stronger, than Jokic. He's not stronger than Nurkic. He's not stronger than Steven Adams or a lot of DeAndre Ayton, a lot of the guys out West and and even around the league. That becomes important to achieve that at other positions. And the guard spot is one of the places you can do that. Let's move beyond the guards, because I think this is an interesting conversation now that you brought up AD at the five and the idea of the type of front court partners that you want for both LeBron and AD, both within the context of the starting lineup and when you're starting to build out bench lineups where either one where it's very likely one of those guys is going to be on the court only. Right. Right. And building around that. And, And so maybe that would be a better topic for the second half of the pod but but i want to get it started really quickly here do you see value in continuing to start really big lineups right where the lakers have like a sort of a jumbo sized front court with lebron at small forward anthony davis at power forward and uh mark gasol or an andre drummond or a javel mcgee size center Yeah, absolutely. Let's take a quick break when we come back. This is a a much bigger conversation. So let's take a break. We'll come back and get into it. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. 
And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm so glad you brought this up because from watching this season, not just the Lakers, but the playoffs as they've transpired, the best teams have two different lineups, two versions of themselves at the very least that can apply to most situations, meaning that Milwaukee has a a very good big lineup and it serves them well in certain circumstances. For a good portion of this series, Brooke Lopez has been a, been a big-time negative, but he wasn't in Game 5. We can get into the reasons for that. That's a, a different branch of the tree that, that maybe we'll get into after Game 6. But there's a version of them with Brooke Lopez at the 5. There's a version of them with Giannis and or Bobby Portis, depending on who you want to consider that, at the 5. And how they play is markedly different. And I would argue that the Lakers having a big option to go to, it's less important than the AD at the five lineups, but it is still important. Now, how much money you should put toward that, right? Like that big five, that is that something that you spend the MLE on? Can you do it just off of a vet minimum? That I think is where the most interesting part of that particular discussion is, is how much importance do you put on it? But I absolutely want to have a big lineup and a, a jumbo lineup to start out the game. Although I do think it's important that everybody else can shoot. Ideally, that guy can too, but but it's hard to find that player. Where do you stand on that? Are you still like, let's let's start these games with, with big groups? Yes, I am actually. And I get that the Lakers' best lineups are likely going to be LeBron at the four and Anthony Davis at the five. But you've made this argument a lot, and, and I'm in agreement. You can't have Anthony Davis play 80 to 90% of his minutes at center all season that's a misallocation of resources i think and putting too much strain on ad both from a physical perspective but i think even from a mental perspective because i don't think he wants to do that i think he will if you sort of put him into a corner and if you built out the roster a certain way and he had no choice or if injuries happened in a way like they did with new orleans that year where they had demarcus cousins and then Cousins gets hurt, and it's sort of just like, yeah, well, guess what, AD? Like, there's no other big guy that's going to start next to you at center. It, it has to be you. And he was fine doing that for basically a half a season, right? But if you could ideally build out a roster, I'd probably invest, you know, 2 to $3 million. I wouldn't go all the way up to the MLE, personally, not even the taxpayer MLE. Mm-hmm. I would not use that specific resource on another big man. I 
don't think that's where the value is in the in in the league and I don't think that's where the value is needed for the Lakers but I do want one of those guys like in that archetype right like whether it's Drummond or a JaVale or a Dwight right Marcus Saul all of those guys were basically like either minimum players or JaVale was like making like three or four million a year. Our starting center is essentially our ninth or 10th man in terms of their their role on this team. Yeah. And so I'd like that to continue, but your ninth or 10th man is important and your starting center is important, right? And so the Lakers can't look at that as like a luxury. They need to look at it as a necessity, but a necessity that is flexible and fungible enough to say, all right, well, when it's time to go away from you, we can, and no one's feelings are hurt, and we're not so pot committed to you in terms of resources that we're sort of shooting ourselves in the foot in in a way that you sort of saw some, and this is not the greatest parallel, but you sort of saw some with like with Trez, right? Where you commit the full MLE to him right. and and then just by the nature of the way that your roster building developed over the course of, of a season, it was sort of just like, ah, eh, we're not going to play you now. Right. Yeah. Andre Drummond becomes available and there aren't a ton of basketball situations where it makes more sense to play Trez over Drummond. Right. And so you've got, you were able to get this guy who can do this job at a vet minimum contract at that point. Yeah. Then the MLE allocation of it, that becomes a mistake for sure. Yeah. And Trez and Drummond were sort of equals, right? Like there are situations where you would definitely say, I want Trez to play here, right? And But there's probably an equal number of situations where you and I probably, maybe less so like the harsher internet critique people <laughs> sure. would, would, right? But there are plenty of situations where I would say, yeah, well, I actually want the bigger body there, the guy who could defend a little bit more and who is better in more diverse defensive coverages than what Trez is. That's not to say Trez doesn't have defensive value, but his That's value right. is much more targeted in a way that makes him less useful over a broader scope of scenarios. It has to be a, spe- a couple of specific uh, circumstances, right? He's got to be able to be blitzing on the ball and to use his speed and perimeter recovery and uh, be able to score on the other end of the four while not having like a big guy. So everything about Trez's playoff value and utility screams beginning of the second quarter against most teams, right? Meaning that that's, and he played well in the Phoenix series when he got run. It's just, that was a, that was a series of musical chairs. And once we signed Drummond, there was going to be a quality five that was not playing. And for most of the end of the regular season, that was Mark. And then even in game one, that was Mark. Mark didn't play in game one of the Phoenix series. We needed some more ball handling and offensive organization on the AD groups. And then that becomes a a position where I'm a big Trez guy. I'm a big Trez believer. I still think that he has playoff. That's this is the thing that, that bothers me about the discussion with him. That description of him as being appropriate for some situations, but not for others, applies to a lot of big men around the league. Right? Yes. And so almost every big man, Pete, almost, almost every, every big man, there's like there's an upper echelon of big that can play across the entire game. And mm-hmm. then pretty much everyone else falls into this shades of gray area where it's just like, yeah, we'll play you because that's all we have. Right. That's right. But 
ideally we might want someone who could do a little bit more in this other area but guess what if you can that's right you're one of those elite guys now yes but if you can't you become you become maybe somebody that you don't want to spend the MLE on, right? Because yeah. there are so many bigs and there's so many different scenarios. It's like, well, first of all, we have Anthony Davis and he's going to cover in important playoff games, the lion's share of the center minutes. And then we need, you know, kind of a big bruiser would be nice to have. If he's a lob threat, that's ideal. Maybe a floor spacer, but these are guys, these are in terms of where you allocate those resources, probably closer to vet minimum than the taxpayer MLE, which is what we have available. So then that, leads me to in talking about the size of of the team overall is our size on the wing. I'm curious about your thoughts on that. When we go small, now obviously we're a big team. If LeBron is your three, you're a big team. You've got size on the wing. But if our money lineups are 80 at the five and LeBron moves up to the four, suddenly Kyle Kuzma is really the only other wing on the team that's a rotation guy. I have some thoughts on THT as a wing projecting going forward, but I'm just curious on there were points of this season, like the Philly game where it was on the road Tobias Harris raises up over Alex, Alex Crusoe to hit a game winner. And that's because Alex Crusoe is six, five and yeah. Tobias Harris is six, eight and fading away. He's going to have access to that shot, that plane over the top. What are your thoughts on our size on the wing? Because we don't have a ton of it. We need more of it. Yeah, get in line behind every other team in the NBA. Yeah, too, like right? I, I'm, I'm, I mean, but there's a reason why that position is so coveted, and there's a reason why every year in the draft, it's sort of just like the guys who rise up to to the top are those big wings and the versatile bigs, right? It's like, mm-hmm. like those guys are going to go in the top whatever five, six, seven picks every draft based off of upside. Mostly and and, and they're even coveted later in the draft, right? Like if you can draft a three and D wing, a Josh Hart, like we did, right? Yeah, that's those guys are coveted and valued even in the twenties and thirties and beyond. But even a guy like Hart, right? Like I look at a guy like Hart, and okay, you're six four, right? And so you're sturdy. Is a great and point. You and you can bang some in the post, and you're going to compete, and you're a hell of a rebounder, right? And so that's not to say the Lakers couldn't use a guy like like Josh Hart. They definitely could, but in the big picture, like, hey, that's like what Wes Matthews was. And sure. you made this point about great Wes point. at the beginning of the year, and we sort of talked you off of that a little bit because uh-huh. the competitiveness of Wes was something that I think we all fell fell in love with. And I think to a certain extent, he changed your mind a little bit from where uh-huh. you were originally. But mm-hmm. the point that you made wasn't wrong when you're like, he's a little small. He is a little small. Right. He's not Danny Green's like six, seven. He's six, 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 seven. And he's a big, sturdy dude. And Wes Matthews is a sturdy dude, too. But guess what? He's he's six, three, six, four. Right. And the difference, those three inches and the length that comes with that, the ability to sort of say like, all right, well, I'm going to challenge you up here earlier during the pod where you when you were talking about that idea of of smaller guards and where I thought that showed up for the Lakers that was problematic, particularly in the Sun series, wasn't necessarily just on the boards. It was on all that back pressure that you have to provide in the Lakers defensive scheme, right? The Lakers are almost always going to be a drop, like play at the level of the ball or a little bit below, 
level team. They're, they're going to switch some, but that's mostly with AD at center. And it's mostly when they have enough size all over the court, right? Like when we'll you go back to those points too. Yeah. Yeah. When you go back to the championship team, even when Rondo was on the court, they didn't switch as much, even when AD was, was at center. And when they did switch with, with Rondo there, he would scram himself out of there. And the Lakers were very good at their intermediate rotations, not the ones from, okay, the ball is going to the wing. I'm going to get there. It's what are you doing in the middle of the play in order to correct assignments? And get people back into positions where they can hold their own in in an individual matchup, right? And so it's that back pressure issue that I think you want with bigger guards as well. And that's something that Danny Green was great at. That's something that Alex Caruso is really good at. It's something that I think KCP, when he's playing point guard against like-sized guys or smaller players, he can be good at too. But it's when you put KCP at a shooting guard position where he has to guard a six, six or, or a six, seven guy or have him, God forbid, small forward. Right. And this is where it showed up against like the Clippers, for example, it's like, Hey, yeah, KCP go guard Kawhi. Right. Not so much. Right. No and chance. so you need, you need bigger wings out there to compete. And even coups like, look, LeBron coups, if those are your only options, we saw that with even with Danny Green on the roster, we saw it still where it was like, hey, you know what? AD, you go out there. You guard Jimmy Butler. You guard, you guard Kawhi. Kawhi. Yeah. Right? And it's because AD is capable of that. But imagine if you could find sort of an intermediate defender guy who you could trust to put on those guys, even for a shift or two shifts, because that's what's going to matter. And so, yeah, man, get me another big wing. Get me a 6'6", six, six or 6'7", six, or 6'8", guy. I, I know those guys are hard to find, but but I want that size dude out there. I, I think that that's kind of where I'm landing, too, is that I think that I would like a bigger guard, but I don't think that that's really accessible in free agency at the, we've got, what, 5.9 million, I think, is the yeah. taxpayer MLE. You're not going to find, and you're not going to find a remarkable wing at that size. But there are a few guys out there that were even signed in last year's free agency. I can't get too into it, but I'm with you on the the idea of like guys who are six seven, six eight, six nine, somewhere in that range. Are there any guys that come to mind? Obviously, I can't bring them up myself, but anybody that that comes to mind off the top of the head that could be gettable at that taxpayer MLE. I mean, you know. This guy's not a defensive guy necessarily, but a guy that I've talked to you some about, and this is more of an offensive guy at this six seven size dude. But it's just like Demar Derozan is that sized, sure, but he's know? probably getting a lot more money than that. Maybe blessed are the shot creators. Yes, I also think that I'll be very interested when we start to have our free agency pods because you you know that's when I'll do much more work on all the names that I can say For that sure. maybe that, that we can't sure <laughs> I put you on the spot here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that being said, like there are guys around the league that I feel like, okay, you can play for a winning team in a specific role. Like it's interesting, right? You were even asking during the regular season, like, Hey, can we get a few more McKinney minutes just to see what he can do. And it's not because he's so great, but just because he's sort of a six, 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 seven live body athletic dude 
that will run up and down the court, that will crash the offensive rebounds, and that will play his role defensively. Is he going to be great? No, he's not going to be great. But you had mentioned THT earlier as like a potential wing option. Talk to me a little bit more about, do you project him as being a small forward? Do you project him as being more of a guard? He's got an interesting skill set offensively, but his physical tools lend some idea to like, oh, you can defend up some in interesting ways while still having that real guard skill set offensively. So in terms of his strengths and some of my argument for THT as a three is the the physical tools that you're talking about, I talked about the access to the overhead plane, right? Like the ability to shoot over guys. Well, THT's length helps neutralize that. Obviously, as a three or a small forward type, he's fairly short relative to other players at that position. He's not 6'7", 6'8", 6'9". But functionally speaking, in a lot of ways, he kind of is, especially when you add that to the fact that he's, what, 225? He's yeah. and he's sturdy. He's a guy that will be able to win physical battles in ways where I think athletes like say an Andrew Wiggins, for example, Andrew Wiggins's little sidestep or step back jumper elevate over the top. He's going to be able to get into that shot before a THT can bother him. That said, there are going to be aspects of any defensive wing. Wes is vulnerable to quicker players. So like Devin Booker is a particularly difficult matchup for him. Any Anybody that's not a max level wing or close to it is going to have some defensive issues. But ultimately, I think that THT has the physical tools to be able to do that. The bigger question for me is that I thought he was a much better point of attack defender than he was off of the ball as a defender. That said, he was 20 years old, right? I don't expect 20-year-olds to be good at reading and reacting defensively and understanding, oh, I got to be here reading it. You know, and and I think that the reps that you get in the NBA by the third or fourth, you know, once you get a certain amount of reps, it becomes second nature. You've seen this scenario happen so many times that you start anticipating. So some of that's going to resolve itself naturally with THT. Those are my bigger questions, though, as far as he goes defensively. And if, if THT can play the three then you add a ton of ball handling. If he's your three, LeBron's your four, and AD's your five, right? You can have a KCP who's not a ball handler. He can function off of the off of handoffs, but he's not going to dribble a ton. KCP's your fourth guy. Even an Alex who's not uh, a high-end point guard ha- ball handler, he's improved in that respect. But those types of groups, if you can shoot, and that's where it comes into play too, is that while when you add size and strength, one of the things that you naturally sacrifice is skill and shooting ability. It's the 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 inverse of what a team like Phoenix sacrifices by having Cam Johnson and Jay Crowder and and Bridges and guys like this that are threes in a different era, but they can shoot the hell out of the ball or they provide. So even a guy like Crowder will win those, those ground battles, but it's the inverse of that for a team that decides to go toward power is when does the dial get turned too far away from shooting? And just how much do you value that? Look, I think the shooting is important. And I know Mike, I don't want to put words in Mike's mouth, but he has argued. And I think, on a certain level, like convincingly so, right? That what you really want is defense. What you Mm -hmm. really want are guys who are going to supplement LeBron and and AD in in ways that allow those guys to play to their strengths. And sure, 
gravity matters to a certain extent, but no amount of gravity is really going to make it so that you stop paying attention to LeBron James and Anthony Davis. Right. And so, so the shots that they're going to create for their teammates are basically going to be open ones. And that means that dial can be turned away from shooting just a little bit more because the shot quality that those guys are getting goes way up in the other direction. If, if you're turning the shot quality dial. And so if I've got two shooters and one of them is a 40% shooter who can't really defend, I think the Lakers had one of those guys this past year, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't know who I'm talking about, his name rhymed with Ben McLemore. If you're a guy who doesn't really defend, but you can shoot at a high level, then okay, you're going to get open shots. A lot of times you're going to make those shots, I thought Ben probably underperformed on some of the shots that he got, but he was also defended a certain way. That said, if you give me that guy who can shoot 40% or a guy who, who's going to shoot maybe 35 to 36%, but is going to be like a really strong defensive player. Well, but what if he shoots 32%? What if he's THT, right? Let's take this out yeah. of the hypothetical and it's THT sure. and it's a playoff series and you want to run your five out. You got 80 at the five, LeBron at the four, you're maximizing spacing. But if I'm the defense and I have to allocate more defensive attention to LeBron James and Anthony Davis, THT spotted up on the weak side, real high up there in terms on in terms of where I want to take that attention from. I want to prove that you can make that shot. What what is the percentage in your mind where that dial flips? Where that forty and let's say that 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 defensive player, let's say it is a Ben Mclemore, right? Let's say it's him. What does that defensive player have to shoot from three? And I'm talking on open shots. Yeah. Where you say actually Macklemore and now Macklemore is not a playoff rotation player. So we're talking about a higher caliber player than that. But just theoretically speaking, right? Like where is that line? 35, 36%? You give me defense in exchange for four percentage points, five percentage points, easy choice there. But if it's 30, 31? Yeah, it gets trickier. Then you start to get into the areas of, well, what else can you do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is where, and I think this goes back to the conversation you and Mike were having about talent plays, right? And how broad of a talent base do you actually have? Mm -hmm. And what are you looking for? And these team building conversations, this is why you and I, or me by myself, shit, I could talk on this for hours. (laughs) Sure. Because the ideas of that alchemy that you mentioned earlier, that's not two or three skill sets. Think of all the things you have to do on a basketball court. Everything that you have. Yeah, when do. we say we want a guy to be good at defense, that that's like 12 different things that we're talking about, right? And if you're good at six of them or seven of them, you're a good defender. But there's there's so many subtopics and sub-attributes within that that, that really – what you can and can't do within that. This is a great point that it kind of answers those questions on how acceptable of a shooter do you have to be? Yeah. And so when, when we're talking about like, okay, well, what else are you doing? Can you initiate the offense? Can you cut at the right time? What is your off ball basketball IQ? Do you know how to, do you know how and when and where to set a flare screen? Do you know how to manipulate the defense in in a particular way in order to help open up 
your teammate. These are small things, but they're winning things. It's one of the reasons why I love Alex Caruso, right? And so when Alex Caruso was sitting there shooting 34%, right? During the playoffs last year, I didn't care. You know why? Because he could run a pick and roll with LeBron James as both the ball handler and as the screener. He defended at a super high level. He could initiate a fast break, both as the lead ball handler and as someone who who is filling the wing. He's an excellent screener off of the ball. He is an excellent cutter, right? He knows how to manipulate the defense by cutting and lurking and lingering in a particular spot in order to draw help, which then opens someone up. And these are all things that help you win a basketball possession. These are the, I used to, I was talking this year about the idea of extending advantage and Alex is great at extending advantage. He's not going to create it. That's going to be LeBron and AD. But if they create that, then Alex can do the certain things that turn a small advantage into a bigger one. And so when you're talking to me about THT, like, okay, are they going to leave him in the corner? Sure. They're going to leave him in the corner. They might leave him in the corner if he's shooting 36 or 37 or 38%, right? Like that's still going to happen because it's LeBron in the post, right? And you better be Steph Curry or Clay Thompson. Those guys might not get left, right? But basketball at the highest level is the hardest choices imaginable, possession to possession to possession. And it's constantly you recalibrating the odds on what is going to work and what's not going going to work. And even when you do everything right, you still might lose a possession, right? And so you can't fault the defense for gambling in certain ways. But if THT can run a pick and roll, if he can isolate Right. When LeBron James is tired or when AD is tired, if he could run a secondary screen and roll when the ball gets reversed to him, if he can attack a closeout and then create a shot for a teammate. Well, guess what? All those little things add value to you, even if you're not necessarily the best shooter. That's why, to me, some of the things that matter just as much for THT's development aren't just his shooting. It is sort of like, hey, man, let's start to watch more defensive tape. What's your footwork look like on defense? What's the angles look like on defense? What's your attentiveness level look like on defense? Because defense is going to allow you to win more possessions on the other side of the floor that make it so that the things that you can do offensively matter more even if you're not a great shooter that's right and those as we've seen in these playoffs those weaknesses will be attacked and exploited over and over again in a seven game series in a way that just does not happen during the regular season and everything that we decide and and build towards should be reverse engineered again from the playoffs like that so this is going to be part of a much longer and broader discussion on the construction of the team as we approach the draft as we approach approach free agency i'm starting to lean more and more toward i'd love a big guard I'd love an MLE signing on the wing. We'll get into that and a whole lot more on upcoming episodes of Laker Film Room Podcast. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic, got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Down. Kobe Bryant. 48 points, 7 
is an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Let's go. Unbelievable. It's over. Shot clock out of five. Bryant. Yeah. With a little tap to Albert Gentry. Add insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.